W2BN, Pinellas Park. Is it bad doing good works? No, absolutely not. But if you are trusting in those good works and you think that those good works will give you standing before God, then it is terrible, horrible, because it'll give you a false sense of security. It'll keep you from seeing your real need for Christ because you'll think you're good when in reality you are not good. Tom Brokaw recently interviewed media mogul and outspoken agnostic Ted Turner. When Tom asked him about his beliefs, Ted said that if there is a God and a heaven, because he had given generously, he would get into heaven. That was one of the saddest statements I had ever heard. I can see in my mind's eye the shock on Ted Turner's face and on the faces of countless others when they find out that nothing they did will help them face the perfect holiness and justice of their Creator. But on the other hand, we can all rejoice that the Lord Jesus has already done for us what we are unable to accomplish. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His expository or verse by verse messages come to you through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. As we have been studying chapter 3 of Philippians, I'm reminded of the popular phrase used to describe someone who has trusted Christ as Savior. Others say they have found religion. Well, the fact is religion and true saving faith are mutually exclusive. You must choose one or the other. Here is Pastor Steve to tell us more. It was the Russian communist leader, Lenin, who said this, religion is the opiate of the masses. And what he meant by that is that religion was sort of a narcotic that just drug people against the realities of this world. It was the opiate of the masses. In fact, that's become a very famous slogan. Bertrand Russell, Russell, who is a well-known philosopher, said this about religion. He said, I regard religion as a disease born of fear and as a source of untold misery. The psychiatrist Sigmund Freud said this, religious ideas have sprung from the same need as all the other achievements of culture, from the necessity for defending itself against the crushing supremacy of nature. In other words, what he is saying is religion is man's response to nature. Man felt threatened by nature. He felt intimidated and he desired protection. So he created religion. That's in essence what he means by that statement. Now, as biting as these criticisms are, As sharp as these critics can be, do you know who the sharpest critic and most biting criticism, who it comes from? comes from the Apostle Paul. comes from the Apostle Paul. And I'd like you to to see that for yourself. So if you'll turn to Philippians chapter 3, we want to look at verses 5 through 11, at least read them, but we want to focus on verses 8 and 9 this morning. Because it may shock you to know that Paul was the harshest critic of religion that has ever lived. Harder on religion than Lenin or Russell or Freud or anyone. Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, so you'll see it in context. He writes, he was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he writes, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. Or you could translate it manure. In order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In these verses, Paul draws a very sharp contrast between his past life as a ultra-religious, orthodox Jewish man and his present life as a Jewish man who has a relationship with God through faith in Jesus as Messiah. And that's really the contrast. It's a contrast between what he used to be, very religious, very meticulous. He was a Pharisee that was the most orthodox, uh, conservative religious sect in Israel. He was a fanatic for Judaism. He was zealous. He, uh, he was everything that the people thought a good Jew should be. But the contrast is with what he presently is, a man who has come to know Christ personally, a man who has received the righteousness of God because of faith in Christ, and a man who has a deep desire to know Christ and, and the other resources that go along with him. Now, in this passage, Paul is very critical of religion, more critical than any man. No other man that I know of in this book called The Great Thinkers uh, has said that religion, has compared religion to manure. I mean, that is harsh. That is tough. But why is he doing this? And you need to understand the context. And we have studied this for the last few weeks, but perhaps some of you are new and you don't know it. What Paul is doing, he, he knows how harmful religion can be. And there's a situation at Philippi, and he's writing to the church at Philippi. That's what we call it, the Philippian letter. He's writing to a church who believed in the Lord, and yet there were some people who we call either legalists or Judaizers who said to them, you know, it's wonderful that you believe in Christ, but you've got to do a little bit more. More than that, if you want to go to heaven, it's not just enough to believe in Christ. You need to become Jewish. That is to say, you need to practice the law of Moses, and the initial right into uh, Judaism is circumcision. And so you look at verse 1 of this chapter, and he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble for me. It's a safeguard for you. So you initially know that what he is doing, he is protecting the church at Philippi. He's saying, I've told you these things before. It's no hassle to me to tell you them again, because I want to protect you as sheep. I am your shepherd in that sense. And he writes, verse two, beware of the dogs. That is to say, beware of those who would come in and they would bark out to you uh, their heresy. Beware of the evil workers. Their evil intent is like, a, they are like missionaries uh, from Satan who want to pull you into believing in error. Beware of the false circumcision. That is, beware of those who, uh, who have mutilated themselves and want to mutilate you. You don't need that. You don't need to become uh, Jewish in order to become a Christian. It is only through faith in Christ, not faith in Christ plus anything else. And then he writes in verse 3, for we are the true circumcision. You want to know who you are? You don't need their circumcision. We're the true circumcision because it's in the inside of the heart. It's a softening of our hearts who worship in the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. That is to say, we don't think we can get to heaven by, by ourselves, our own efforts. Now, that's the context. And then he begins to make a contrast. He tells them what he once was. And that's verses 5 and 6. 
He says, look, if anybody thinks that they could boast before God, then if you looked at my life before I was a believer, then you'd know that I could have boasted before God, but I don't do that. I don't do that because I've come to realize that that stuff is just manure. That will never get me to heaven. And, and that brings us up here because he knows how harmful it can be. It gives people religion, that is, to, that is, gives people a false security. It keeps them from seeing their real need for Christ. That's the great danger of religion. Is it bad doing good works? No, absolutely not. But if you are trusting in those good works and you think that those good works will give you uh, standing before God, then it is terrible, horrible, because it'll give you a false sense of security. It'll keep you from seeing your real need for Christ because you'll think you're good when in reality you are not good. It's important that the Philippians, and it's important for us that, that we understand this. Why? Because uh, religious legalists, even today, try to draw us away from Christ. There are groups who tell you that you must keep the Sabbath in addition to coming to know Christ. Whole movement is founded on that, the Seventh-day Adventist movement. I was with a man in St. Louis this week, who comes out of a Seventh-day Adventist church, and I said, you know, tell me, I have heard from those who were in that, uh, who were in that movement that uh, they just want to keep the Sabbath and, 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 and live by certain dietary laws because uh, they love the Lord, and they say it's not for salvation. I said, is that the case? He said, that wasn't the way I was raised. No, I knew that I had to keep these things in order to gain entrance into heaven. You see, that's what Paul's dealing with in terms of a 20th century application that there's something other than faith alone in Christ. And you'll have people who will say, ah, but you don't keep the Sabbath. And you don't eat certain dietary laws. And there'll be others and whole churches and movements who'll say, you know, it's wonderful that you believe in Christ, but you have to be baptized. I visited a family one time who told me that. They told me that. That wasn't something I just read. That wasn't something I've just heard about. They told me that I needed to be baptized if I wanted to go to heaven as well as believe in Christ. Now, that's what these legalists are saying. They're saying that uh, you have to add the Old Testament laws of Judaism to Christ. Now, we need to understand this, and it's very, very important for us. And the whole point of this, and the whole, this is how it fits into the whole letter, is the letter is about joy. If you let anybody come and draw you away from Christ, you're going to lose your joy. Joy comes by not only having a relationship with Christ, but secondly, knowing that you have a relationship with him. There are a lot of people who struggle with assurance of salvation. Part of that is because they don't see any evidence in their life that they are believers and uh, they need to struggle at that point. But when you begin to see evidence in your life that you know Christ and you love him and you want to walk with him, then you can rest in him and you can rejoice and you know that you belong to the Lord. But these people were threatened, uh, threatened uh, by the Judaizers to have their joy stolen. You start moving away from assurance and, and the issue of eternal security and you will not have joy except when maybe you have kind of uh, a feeling, a euphoric feeling for the moments. But that's not what you want to base joy on anyway. So we've got to think clearly about religion and see it for what it is. It is harmful. It is dangerous. Now, before going any further, I just want to uh, divert our attention just for a few minutes and, and ask this question. Where did religion come from? You understand he's making a contrast between religion and Christ. And I'm going to explain what that contrast is very shortly. But where did religion come from? 
Where did religion come from? In a sense, in a sense, Freud was right. Man did create religion. I don't think he created it because he was fearful. But man did create religion. I want you to turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I want to show you the source of religion as opposed to a relationship with Jesus Christ. In Romans chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul is, in a sense, a prosecuting attorney, and he is putting the world on trial. He is explaining the gospel, and the first step in explaining the gospel is to explain that man is a sinner. Those are not just uh, religious cliches. Those are not just even, that's not just evangelical jargon that man is a sinner. Paul is going to put the pagan world on trial. Then in chapter 2 and 3, he will put the Jewish world on trial, and he will prove without any question that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the, the question that he's dealing with, the issues that he's dealing with in Romans chapter 1 is this, and, and you may have asked this and many others have asked this, well, wait a minute. If pagans have never heard of Jesus Christ, if somebody deep in the jungle jungles of Africa or South America this morning has never heard of Jesus Christ, how can God ever hold them responsible? How can God ever deal with them and punish them and judge them if they have never heard of Christ? Romans chapter 1 answers that. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed, that is to say it's manifested, it's made known from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who watch this, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why is pagan man a sinner? Because he has suppressed the truth. You say, wait a minute, did he hear about Christ? Not necessarily, but there's more truth to the word of God than just Christ. There's more truth than that God has revealed. And whatever God has revealed to them, they have suppressed it. That is to say, they've, they've pushed it down. God has made it known to them. And pagan man said, we don't want this. We don't want to hear about this. Paul goes on to, to write, Suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. And I think it's probably best to translate this. It is evident among them for God has made it evident to them. For since, and he explains this, God has made his truth known around mankind, around the pagan world. For since, he's clarifying it now, the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. What he is saying is that God has revealed his power through nature. God has revealed himself, his orderliness, his eternal power, his divine nature through the things that are seen around. Pagan man, all he has to do is look up in the stars of heaven and he ought to know that the, that the glory of God is revealed in the heavens. He looks at the mountains and he sees the majestic, majestic uh, splendor of God. He looks at the, the weather. He experiences the weather. He, know, he ought to know that God is all powerful. He may not know all about God, but he knows enough. That if he responded to what he knew, God would reveal more and more and more. And that, by the way, uh, is how God gets the gospel to somebody. If somebody in the deepest jungles of Africa or New York City, who's never heard of Christ, not the, tr the truth about Christ, were to respond to the divine revelation and would have an open heart, 
then God would give more truth and more truth and more truth and would lead a missionary or somebody to them to share the gospel. The problem is, is that nobody seeks after God on their own. That's what he'll say in chapter 3, no man follows after God, therefore God must do a work in our hearts, and I don't understand this, where, whereby he opens our hearts, and therefore the response that we have is really his divine pulling at us. But let's get back to Romans chapter 1. So man knew about God, the pagan world knew about God. In fact, I'm just reading now Genesis again, and uh, it's come afresh to me that man knew about God. Pagan man knew a lot about God. But they rejected that. And you look back at the Tower of Babel and you look back at before the flood and all of those things, only one righteous man and his family on the face of the earth, and that was Noah. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, and he means here they knew about God, not they had they knew him, they knew about God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was dark and professing to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. That's, that's how religion came about. Now let me explain what he means. God has every right to pour out his wrath upon the pagan world because the pagan world knew the truth about God from creation and nature, but they refused to bow to the almighty God. They refused to honor him. They refused to submit to him. They refused to surrender their wicked hearts to, to him. And when man did that, he turned off the light of God's revelation. When man turned away from God, God turned the light off. And what happened is man substituted his own foolish speculations. In other words, God gave light. Man rejected the light. The darkness was there. Man turned on his own light, like a light bulb over his head. But his light was foolish speculation. His light was error. Yeah, some truth mixed in with, with error but for the most part, error. And now human reason governs his thinking rather than divine revelation, and the result is spiritual darkness. That's why the pagan world is in darkness. Since man's own mind now controls his life, he begins to think of himself as wise, is what Paul is saying. He's a fool, but he thinks that he's wise. He now prides himself on being intellectually honest. You've heard of that. Intellectual, academic honesty and it leads him into foolish and, and spiritual and moral error. For instance, man thinks he's wise, but he thinks he, he evolved from monkeys. I mean, think about that. Man thinks he's wise, but he believes he evolved from monkeys. Man thinks he's wise, but he believes God isn't a person. He's a thing or an it, if he goes that far. Man thinks, he's wise, thinks that he's wise, but that moral standards are outdated. Man thinks he's wise, but he comes up with some of the stupidest sayings. Some months ago, I was watching a program on television. They had a very famous psychiatrist on the program, and he said there is absolutely no correlation between hardcore pornography and the actions of people who watch that. Now, that is idiocy. That is idiocy. You don't have to be a Ph.D. to figure that one out. But man thinks he's wise, but he comes up with incredibly stupid statements like that. And you know what? Everybody around them, yes, right, good. That, you know, and they all sort of applauded. 
I mean, man thinks he's wise, but he has, but he goes out and, and commits abortion and thinks it's all right. I mean, that is just a reflection of how far man has gone. In the name of intellectual integrity, man has become a fool because he's rejected the obvious truths about God as seen in creation. He refuses to worship God for who he is, the glorious one, and, and instead his foolish specul speculations together with, watch this, his innate desire to worship. He's got foolish speculations, but God has made him to have a, an innate desire to worship something, but he's refused to worship God, so now he must worship something, so he becomes a religious idolater. That's where religion comes from. It's built into man that he must worship something. Something. He's, he's got to. But he's got foolish speculation, so he's not going to worship the truth about God. So he invents what he calls truths, but they're really religious error. He refuses to respond to the glorious God, so now he creates images of what he conceives as God. Man, and if you look in Romans chapter 1 again, You'll see he exchanged, verse 23, the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures. He said, these are my gods. In Greece and Rome, gods were man-like. We call that mythology. Also, the Romans worshipped the eagle, the Egyptians worshipped the bull, the Assyrians worshipped the serpents, and on and on it goes. And they thought they were brilliant, thought they were brilliant. You see, when man abandoned the invisible, spiritual, glorious God from their minds, they had to have something to take his place. And that's where religion comes from. And you need to understand that. That's why man has always been religious. Religion is not man running after God. It is man running away from God. The world is not, is not after God because it's so religious. The world is running away from God. And that's why they are religious. To paraphrase the popular old song, mankind is looking for God in all the wrong places. And that's because in our natural state, we do not want to find Him. We are in fact looking for everything but the true God. That is sad because there are wonderful advantages to having faith in God compared to trusting in our religion to save us. Advantages that we begin to experience the instant we put our trust in Christ. Pastor Steve will have more about that on the next Verse by Verse. It has been a pleasure to have you with us in class today. Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff is taking us on a tour of the third chapter of Philippians. Since 1981, he has been serving as the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He's getting ready to lead a tour of a different sort in the near future. Here he is to tell us more. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse here on WTBM. I want to tell you about an exciting opportunity to join me on a trip to Israel I'll be leading this May. We'll be visiting those sites in Israel where Jesus ministered, such places as Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, the Mount of Beatitudes, the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem, and, and so many more sites. If you're interested in learning more about this tour, then you can call the following number and ask for more information. The number is 877 Seven six eight two seven eight four extension one one one. That's eight seven 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 six eight two seven eight four extension one one one. The tour dates are May 
5th through the 14th. I hope you can join us. One more time, that number is 877-768-2784, extension 111. That sounds like a wonderful learning experience. I hope you can come along. If you would like to listen again to today's broadcast, it's available at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We also have previous lessons so that you can catch up on any that you might have missed. You will find them on the archives page. There are also links for signing up for our complimentary newsletter and our free podcasting service. All that and more is at versebyverseradio.org. You can also order a CD or a cassette of the entire message on which today's class was based. To do so, call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. This program is a production of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you. This is Peter Silseth inviting you to join us for the next Verse by Verse. We are here to give you strength between...